everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 305, maybe just a little evil, recorded October 8th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the gooey kid at Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome back to all of the fine folks in Opie Land. We sure have missed y'all. Yeah, we skipped one. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I wasn't really feeling sick last week, but I was having some major... Allergy issues, and I didn't think you'd want to listen to an hour and a half of me talking like this. So I decided not to do a show. Uh, so my fault. Uh, but I am but now back see, he, in my full voice. He, here's the thing, Mark. Last week you could have appealed for money and say, "Hey, <laughs> you know," and then people would have just felt bad, and we could have raked in them dough. <laughs> or I could have said something like, yeah, this is my dedication. Even sounding like this, I do a show. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that would have worked. Penny For pitties. less than the cost, cost of a cup of coffee a day, you could buy me new hardware. <laughs> Especially if it's Starbucks <laughs> coffee. Man, five bucks a day, I'm in. Should we? Yeah. We give them all kinds of exclusive content. I'm surprised. So, you know, okay, this Starbucks thing, right? I'm sorry, but I gotta, I gotta throw this out there. How did, how did society get addicted to Starbucks when there was coffee long time before that? Marketing, all um, about marketing. It, 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 it's psychosis, right? This is not. They've got really great coffee, or they put cocaine in the coffee, or something. It's like psychosis. Well, I, I, Starbucks. I mean, honestly, their coffee among coffee is just is is good, but it's not. I mean, there's gas station coffee that's just as good. Uh, what Starbucks did uh, was the first one to really market the atmosphere, the Apple-style coffee environment. You know, you were you were not buying coffee. You were buying a lifestyle. You are a certain type of person if you are seen at this location purchasing our coffee. Hipster. Yeah. I can only say that. <laughs> but it's been around longer than the hipsters. Yeah, that's true. So now we know where the hipsters came from. Right. So it's all Starbucks' fault. Somebody could travel back in time and prevent the first Starbucks from opening. You know, who knows how awesome the world would be now? Baristas with iPhones. One of my favorite uh, mockumentaries is Best in Show. It's about uh, uh, people who are into dog shows. It's a Christopher Guest uh, film. And two of the characters there, they're the classic uh, late 90s yuppie. And and they're telling their story in that, you know, mock interview style. And it's like, well, we met at Starbucks. Well, not the same Starbucks. I was at one Starbucks, and he was at a Starbucks across the street. And they ran out of the mocha frappiato that I like, and so I went across the street. And it was just, just that line right there. <laughs> I was at one, and he was at another one across the street, because that is so real. There's Starbucks everywhere. Yeah. And how sad is it? You know, I don't know. I guess it's not sad if if you like to be underemployed and you you know you like to stand in line to get something that you can get without standing in line almost any place else in the world. Yeah, walk into any car dealership and they'll give you free coffee. Right, just to get you there. Anyway, 
So last week was my kids' fall break. Our school, I've mentioned it before, has this thing where they do a week off every six weeks and then a very short summer. So this was their fall break. And I try to take that week off every year with them. I don't usually take any time, maybe a day or two, but usually nothing extended during the summer. Uh, so we do that fall break. And that's a that's a good week for travel. It's usually the third or fourth week in, in September. So it's a good opportunity to go to those places that other people normally go in the summer. It's still warm enough particularly right. in the South where you can still swim and, and go to the beach and all that sort of stuff. Uh, this, this year we didn't do that. We just did a staycation um, because I don't have money. Uh, and we, uh, um, we went to the zoo and, and did all sort of that sort of stuff. But one of the thing, one of the things that we did Thursday, which I think was responsible for me not doing a show uh, uh, Sunday. And also the thing I'm about to talk about, we went to the Georgia, uh, North Georgia state fair. Um, and so the, my friends of you listening in Texas think, uh, county fair, they call it a state fair, but it's about the size and scope of a county fair. Uh, you know, there's a midway and there's, uh, three or four shows and, you know, there was a three foot rat and the, and the, the, the sideshow geek and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a fair, it was nice. Um, but it was nothing even close to the Texas state fair. Uh, but while we were there, the, uh, we were sitting on, I was sitting on the, the, the bottom level of a set of aluminum bleachers so 18 inches at the most off the ground those things are pretty low my daughter was sitting behind me and uh unbeknownst to her she kicked my phone off of the 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 bench and so it fell a scant 18 inches it wrapped in a case but it happened to fell exactly face down on the pavement and this is what Uh. happened to it and for those of you who are Sweet. watching, the front screen is completely obliterated. And I don't really mind, you know, glass broken. I've, I've worked with broken phones, but it's so broken that the capacitive, capacitive touch doesn't work anymore. It's not even a capacitance measure anymore. So it was completely useless. And I had to, had to, to come home and pull my old Nexus 5 out of the drawer and use it and remember all the reasons that it's in the drawer. Um, <laughs> so I very quickly, uh, purchased a new device and that device was the um one plus five which as you look at it it looks like an iphone they all kind of look like iphones these days a single capacitive um fingerprint sensor so i use my pinky finger nothing happens oh and then it wakes up yeah (laughs) it proved me wrong it's not supposed to do that um but then i use my regular finger and it unlocks that's it yeah it woke up but it didn't unlock yeah that was it that made me feel better. So yeah, pinky finger wakes it up, but it's got the lock screen, right? And I use one of the fingers that I had there and locks up. So super fast capacitive touch uh, fingerprint sensor. Um, uh, I've only had it a few days. I got it last Wednesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, this is Sunday. So three and a half-ish days. Uh, my initial impressions, really nice phone. Uh, four... 75 for the six, uh, 64 gig version, six gigs of RAM. Um, you, you don't get a six gigs of RAM anywhere uh, on any phone. Um, it's super uh, fast. Uh, aluminum case, really uh, solid, super thin. So thin, it's actually uh, um, uncomfortable in the hand. Like it feels better with a case on it in my big catcher's mitt size hands. Um, I, I hear you asking a question, Seth. I was just gonna. I was gonna make the comment. Oh. My laptop has eight gigs. Right. Yeah. And I'm- um, it flies. It's the fastest phone I've ever used. Um, 
and it is 7.39 p.m. I took it off of the charger at about 6.45 this morning. Care to guess what my battery level is right now? No, no charger has touched it throughout the day. Took it to church. It's my Bible at church. I watched the Cowboys game on it for about three hours this afternoon uh, while there was some of this stuff going on. Take a guess at my battery percentage. 41. 20, I was going to say 20. 68%. Whoa. 13 wow, hours later. good. With all with heavy use, I'm still at sixty eight percent. I've I, this it's possessed. There is a demon inside there that recharges the battery when I'm not looking. I, I, so is that one of those? Does it got a micro SD card where you can add more storage to the thing? It is not storage upgradable. No, uh, but they make models up to two hundred fifty six gigs, so you oh, can okay. get lots on it. Um, but sixty four is fine for me. My last one was thirty two, and. You know, I just don't put a lot of stuff on my phone. Everything's in the cloud these days. So I just got to say, um, if you want a new phone, the OnePlus 5, I, I honestly can't find much bad to say about it. Hmm. So, you got the rapid charge thing on there? It, yeah, it's a proprietary thing. It's called Dash. It's not uh, the quick charge like uh, other people use. Um, it goes from, they say, from, from zero to uh, 80% in 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, without without heating the phone, the the problem with that is it's the charger is proprietary. You can only buy it from OnePlus, and the cable is proprietary as well. You have to buy their charger and their cable. But honestly, with this kind of battery life, you just don't need it. I plug it in when I go to bed at night, and unplug it in the morning, and it's just not a thing. That is a pretty sweet phone for that price. That is a yeah. really sweet phone. Yeah, and it came to me, and I paid extra for expedited shipping. That extra was like six bucks, um, and I ordered it Friday morning and got it Monday. It's uh, so it's an unlocked phone. You're not tied to a carrier or anything correct. like that. It's GSM only, so you're not going to use it on Sprint or Verizon. But uh, any of your GSM um, carriers, um, wait, Sprint. I think Sprint does have some CDM. Uh, I think you can do voice, but no data. That's it on Sprint. Uh, but T-Mobile, AT&T, uh, any global carrier, any European or, or Asian carrier is going to have GSM. It's two SIMs, so you can put two cards in it, have two numbers on one phone. Ooh, yeah. nice. Sweet. So I wasn't intending to do a review of a phone. I wasn't intending to buy a phone. <laughs> but uh, I, I just couldn't live without a phone, and I couldn't live with that Nexus 5 anymore. I've grown beyond it. So here's here's how you spend this, Mark, because when you went to the fair that broke your phone, you have used that in the uh, course of your business of podcasting. So your whole trip to the fair is now a business write-off for you. Which honestly is almost as much as the phone. Um, fairs are not cheap. Right. You know, and all of the food you ate right. there, you were entertaining uh, clients and, you know, you had a partner to help you with this. So all of that <laughs> is like all of that's business expense now. Let's see if I can run this down. It was uh, two lemonades, two soft drinks, two corn dogs, two soft pretzels. No, three corn dogs, two soft pretzels. $48. So in fair, that's about 75 bucks. 48 $48 for that. 48 um, it was a bargain. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, I call it fair economics. It's the economics of fairs. Once you walk in, right. Um, everything changes. But I just, I wanted to show you, um, because I happened to notice it sitting beside me here. 
I don't know. Again, uh, for the two people who watch the video, you'll get this. So this is my um, previous Moto X that I have often referred to as a thin phone. This is my new OnePlus right beside it. It's about half the thickness of it. Hmm. So did you look into just getting the screen replaced on the Moto? I didn't. It was just an excuse mm-hmm. to get a new phone. Let's just be honest. Okay. <laughs> and the Moto X was... We need no excuse. <laughs> it was about three years old. It was getting time. So maybe not. Maybe two years. Anyway. So that's uh, about that. The only other one thing I want to talk about, I, I talked about it last time we were here, um, the Orville, the um, um, Seth MacFarlane, Star Trek kind of uh, parody, but not really thing. Um, I, I said then I wasn't, it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. And I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. Um, this, the, the most recent episode, it's either three or four, maybe five somewhere. It's, it's still early in was a very serious, very Star Trek episode. I mean, it was Star Trek, the next generation season one, maybe two, um, with, there were a couple of dick jokes, you know, but for the most part, they played it straight and it was a really good episode. And so now I just don't have any idea what I think <laughs> about the Orville. Just when I was about ready to write them off, they come out with a solid sci-fi episode. So I really just don't know. Hmm. Well, I don't, sorry, can't help you there. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, I haven't watched it either yet. <laughs> um. So Seth? You saw the a movie that I haven't seen, Dunkirk. Yeah, and I will give you my one-sentence review of Dunkirk. It is a bad telling of an awesome story. So I had such high hopes for Dunkirk, but they, they were true to the action, sort of, but they were so true to the action, they missed the spirit of the story. And I mean, it looked historically accurate. You know, I didn't like notice anachronistic stuff or anything like that, but it just, it wasn't, you know, technically wise, it it was a well-made film, but I wouldn't say it was a good movie. So I was kind of bummed by that. That's the first non five-star review I've heard of that movie. Oh, well, you know, I, I think, I think to, well, Anyway, I I won't go into some all the reasons I didn't care for it, but it, it was a it was a lackluster effort at telling what was truly a miraculous event. They 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 made it just this thing and they they chose to focus on small individual stories to kind of tell the overarching theme and they missed the overarching theme and they tried to throw it in at the end and it just it did not work has a movie for me, but I know more history than the average person. So the average person might, you know, they wouldn't know the stuff I, I would, that I can't forget or I haven't forgotten yet. So was it better than Pearl Harbor? I really, and I mean, I was able to enjoy Pearl Harbor. There was enough action and stuff that I could, you know, enjoy that part. So, um, it was, I, no, for me, no. Wow. Cause I really didn't like Pearl Harbor at all as a student of history. Well, I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just, 
like I say, Pearl Harbor was almost like we're just sealing the name and location and we're going to tell our own story and we're not claiming to be historically accurate. And uh, Dunkirk was like trying to be historically accurate, but, you know, they they focus so much on the details. They miss the they miss the theme. You know, there's an old there's an old saying, penny wise, pound foolish uh, detail, detail wise theme lacking was was my uh how i felt about the movie so all right hmm. that's a fair review miles have you seen either of them? i was going to see it i will uh but now maybe i'll wait for the dvd i don't know now, i mean yeah i would be curious as to you know what y'all's opinion was on it versus mine so i am i am and um i have eclectic taste in movies that not a huge overlap with any one person. Well, this is not a movie that's ha- going to have a traditional Hollywood ending, though, right? Because it's a sad ending. Well, they made the ending. Well, I mean, no, it's not really a sad ending because, you know, in the history of Dunkirk, spoiler alert, it's a based on a true event. They were able to evacuate pretty much all of the English expeditionary force across the channel. So, you know, in that sense, it was a great thing. And really the, the miracle at Dunkirk is really the one thing that prevented the invasion of Britain. You know, if the army had been captured there, there would have been nothing to stop Hitler uh, and the Nazis from, you know, coming across the aisle. And it would have been civilians fighting them versus over a quarter of a million soldiers fighting on their home territory. So, you know, so no, it doesn't end in heartbreak um, because that's the miracle is that they're able to get them home. Yeah, this is essentially an evacuation film, or at least the story of Dunkirk is an evacuation story. Yeah, and an evacuation slash retreat story. And I mean, you know, so in that sense it's it's true to the history, but they they just I don't know. I, I was not a fan of their telling of the story. Another thing that was a little less true to history is the fact that this is the year of the running man. Yes. Um, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Running Man, which, you know, eighties eighties glory and <laughs> I watched it today because it was a better choice than the football games that were available. And okay. 80s cheese fest. It holds up in that aspect, but it, I realized at the beginning it was set in the year 2017. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the year of running man. So, you know, um, you can look and you can kind of see how our television could be headed towards that direction. And, uh, you know, so it's not like a 1984 type thing, but it was an interesting, you know, how does 2017 compare with the 2017 of running man? You know, and, if, if you somebody know. tried to make a, a reality television show where convicted violent criminals were killed as part of the show, I honestly think there'd be an audience for it. There would be protests, but there'd be an audience for it too. I, I think there would be. Yeah, I think so. the 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 extra chromosome uh, Trumpers would be all over that. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to say no, they wouldn't, but you know, <laughs> well, I wouldn't pay to watch it. But you know, if there were some Applebee's or something that had it on, I might. <laughs> I love that you went with Applebee's. That's great. <laughs> Applebee's. You know, Applebee's or some bar, Chili's, whatever, you know, 
that you can go watch pay-per-view because you don't want to pay 115 bucks to watch a, you know, an overhyped, you know, boxing match, but you know, go see the pay-per-view and I, I don't know. It would be, it would be, they would have to do a non-lethal version. I think, I don't think our society is so far gone that, you know, we would allow actual, you know, live deaths on the air. Well, no, they can not do a on mockumentary. the air, but on cable. Right. Uh, definitely not over the air, but certainly a cable pay-per-view sort of thing. Not only would I think that would be legal, but I think people would pay for that. I really do. I I, I don't think society would stand for it. Maybe next year, but I think (laughs) there's still enough uh, morality left that they would say, you know, we can't have that. But if these were all convicted death row criminals anyway, they were all destined to die. Right. You gave them the opportunity to escape. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that society may be more ready for this than you're giving them credit for. It just screams decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Indeed. <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. That's, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, wouldn't that be an interesting, like, social, you know, like a sociology thesis paper or something? You know, is society ready for running man? And, you know, argue for it and against it. Dude, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, they're going to die anyway. And so, in one hand, you're giving them a chance of freedom. So, okay, that's something they would compete. But on the other hand, you know, you know what? Does the proceeds from the sponsor, the proceeds from the pay-per-view go to the victim's fund? There you go. Something like that. That makes it powerful. That would. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. I need to go shower now. This is kind of bad. <laughs> yes, we did go there. <laughs> what do you think, audience? Is society ready for Running Man? Um, you know, email geekrant at elementop.com yeah. <laughs> and give us your thoughts on this. I mean, we're half a step away from Death Race 2000. I mean, anytime there's a high-speed police chase, let's be honest, people turn on to watch somebody die. Oh, yeah, that's- yeah. I'm addicted to live PD, I got to admit. Have you guys watched that thing? No, never heard of it. Oh, yeah. it's oh, don't start. You can't turn it off. It's like every Friday and Saturday night, it's a two-hour or three-hour long episode of Cops that runs live like with about six or seven different precincts in the U.S. And, you know, they just go from different scenes of cops pulling over people, and it's it's pretty hardcore. I didn't realize it's like that out there on the streets on a regular basis. Man, I I don't know. Now I'm I'm just you paralyzed my mind, Mark. Doesn't take much, but now I'm I'm caught. So yeah, I'm I come from good old fashioned East Texas white trash, and I often say that my family reunions are an episode of Cops waiting to happen. So uh, that <laughs> that sort of TV uh, just brings back too many memories for me. Maybe we should watch people kill snakes instead. Yeah, I was uh, I was sitting up here at the church um, Tuesday night, and I was leaving, and I walked out the door, and I happened to look, and like a foot from the door, there was a snake. And, you know, I'm not quite sure of the measurement. Some people said it was about two foot long. It might have just been a little under 20 feet long. I couldn't tell. <laughs> but um, I was like, I can't let it sit. And the weird thing is, it was just sitting, it was just, you know, kind of coiled there, and it wasn't moving. It didn't react to me as I walked by. I was just like, 
okay, I'm going to kill the snake. And so I looked around and I found this one by six that was about four feet long. And so I was like, okay, this is what I'm using. I get it and slam it down. And I missed the head the first time that got its attention. It started arriving and I just kept grinding that one by six into the concrete. And, uh, when the snake would kind of calm down, I would like pick up and move a little bit. And I finally hit the head, smashed the head. And then, um, I couldn't figure out, I was like, okay, how am I going to get the snake on the end of this plank to carry it outside? I'm not touching the thing because there's only two types of snakes, those that are dead and those that are pre-dead. Those are my two snake classifications. So I ended up using my mic stand to uh, kind of get it on the end. I had my arms outstretched and that, you know, walking around, getting my isometrics in because I'm not going to let it down to unlock the door. And I get it and throw it out on the concrete driveway. And then just to be sure, I run over it a few times in my car, back, <laughs> forward, back, forward, slam on the brakes. And uh, and then, you know, I drive, then I go home. And so, yeah, I am. So now I'm not the gooey kid. I'm, I'm Seth the snake killer. So. <laughs> I, I honestly, there, there's probably a larger section of the world that would be bothered by that story than of the convicted killers being killed in, in combat. <laughs> probably, you know, I mean, you know, the sad part is you're right. So, you know, you, your choices are watch a man kill a snake or watch convicted felons <laughs> fight for the right to live. You have to outlaw one and glorify the other. I don't know. I don't know which would win in this country. I mean, a lot of people hate snakes, you know, so and the sad part is a lot of the people who hate snakes are also the ones who love the, you know, so you're going to be splitting the vote on there because they're the same people who would love the uh, the convicted felons fighting for the right to life. So you're going to split the vote there, and then all the hippie freaks, they just hate hate people who hate animals. And so the snakes would probably win. All right, so quick poll. I'm looking here at at the box that my new phone came in, and I realize I have have a problem with keeping boxes in case I want to return it, quote, in case I want to return it. And I'm looking over here, and I see the box to the last phone that I bought two years ago sitting over there in the corner. How long? Do, what's the appropriate amount of time to keep a box in case you're going to return it? I, I, well, I tend to keep them forever. Well, since you're not going to be using that phone anymore, now you discard that old box. <laughs> so I just always one box in storage? <laughs> Your current product that you might need to return, you need to have the box for it. You're not going to return that other box, the other phone anymore because you've moved on. Yeah, but don't I need an on-deck right? box just in case something doesn't work out? No, because you saved your you save all the original boxes. So, you know, unless you're planning for disaster recovery, water gets in the garage and ruins your box collection, you know, then maybe you need to have a secondary box location. Or, you know, you know you can just buy a box from Amazon and have it I need to make redundant <laughs> copies of my boxes. Of course if you I think three three D print them. If you buy a box from Amazon, what does it come in? <laughs> Something to think about. It comes in product. It comes wrapped in 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 echoes, right? All right, let's talk about something a little more serious. Heat reflective paint. If you live in the desert, that's kind of a thing. I think I think it is. I don't know yet. I'm going to find out this week. Um, my uh, my garage is a nightmare to work in when it's hot. You can't do anything in there, and I and I'm the sort of guy who likes to hang out in there and wreck my my wife's car and blow up computers and stuff like that. Anyway, um, 
I'm out there in this sweltering heat and I called my air conditioning guy and I said, uh, I got this air conditioner in the garage, but it's doing nothing. You know, what, what's going on? He comes out, he brings out one of these Fleur heat sensitive cameras, tells me I've got no insulation in the walls or something. So I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, fine, I'll fix that. And he, and then uh, I was talking to him and I said, you know, I've, I've got to paint the, the, the side of the house that the garage is in is a west-facing side, so it gets all the heat, you know, after, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon, the really bad heat. And uh, I said, I'm wondering whether I should put a awnings up or something just to keep the heat off this side of the house and maybe that will do something. And he goes, well, I got this friend and he's a painter and he's been telling him about this concept of heat reflective paint and i said oh yeah what is this something breaking bad of paint or something anyway it's some chemical thing so um it just so happens i had to paint that side of the house so i i, I go down to the paint store the sherman williams you guys have sherman williams out your mm -hmm. way uh -huh. you do okay and uh i'm talking to the lady at the the desk and i said listen i heard about this thing this heat reflective paint and she goes oh yeah that's new she says we have to special order it and it only comes in certain colors well thankfully one of those colors was almost identical to what i needed so it was fine anyway it's called loxon xp and it's an ir reflective paint so the deal is you paint something with it and no heat gets through and I, I'm like, really? Come on, this is just a joke, right? I mean, this is some ridiculous thing. Apparently not. Um, my AC guy tells me that his painting buddy got a piece of uh, rebar and a blowtorch. And what he did was he painted the rebar with this paint and then he put the blowtorch on it. And he said within 30 seconds of finishing with the blowtorch on the rebar, he could pick the thing up in his hand and hold it. And I'm like, are you serious? They've got paint that does that now? Yeah, apparently they do. So I've ordered, uh, I don't know, five gallons of this Loxon XP paint, and I'm going to put it up on the house this week, and I'll tell you if it works. You know, the other option would be to install a radiant barrier. You would have to take off the siding to really do that right, but you could just install a radiant barrier as well. does the same thing. Um, you could do both and maybe get an added benefit. Yeah, that, would that work with stucco, though? I don't know, because, you know, normally, typically, radiant barriers are installed under a roof. So, you know, but, you know, typically people don't live in the desert. So, I don't know if it, it, you would have to, you would be taking off the stucco and then putting the radiant barrier down and then putting the stucco back uh, up. And way so, more expensive right, than be, just painting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this paint, I can't say it's the cheapest thing in the world. It's like, I think it was about $350 for five gallons. So it's not cheap. Just a quick Google it, search for heat reflective paint shows that there are several versions from Rust-Oleum. Yours is from uh, Sherwin-Williams. The Loxon is from uh, Rust-Oleum. Uh, there's a brand called Cool Coat with a K, um, and, but they all run about that price, hmm. about 60 bucks a gallon. Okay, okay. They, does it? I mean, I don't know. You're looking at Google there. Do you see? Do people give it positive reviews, or have I gone and done a stupid thing again? <laughs> um, to be honest, everything I can see is marketing material. So, uh, you know, mm, take that yeah. to mean whatever it means. 
Well, it just well, means I'll, that it's I'll, 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 too new. I'll, rep- I'll report in. I'll tell you what happens. You know, and you can also do the green thing of getting some drought-resistant shrubbery if you can find a shrubber With who a shrubber. comes around in wagons. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then and then you could, like, um, move your gray water to uh, water them. So if you want to go off the grid and stick it to the man, you know, you could maybe do it that way as well. I would love to go off the grid. I would love it. I don't know about you guys, but I got uh, my power bill this month, and I we've gone and changed all the windows out in the house to put that low E stuff in to stop all the heat from getting in. You know, because obviously out here you got to do that. And uh, my power bill, I'm proud to say, shows a 20 percent decline in power usage as a result of energy efficient, you know, hacking of the house. Right. Which is really cool, right? The, the the power company put my bill up 50 bucks a month, even though I dropped my usage 20%. That sounds about right because they have they project and they pay bonuses based on their exact on their expected revenue. So you have gone and cut their revenue, so now you've saved electricity, so they've increased the generation cost and the transmission cost. You know, I, it's just like I, I, I called and threatened to quit my satellite company and they removed a fee. And then two months after they removed the fee, they upped my rate. So that I ended up costing more once I had the fee removed. So, mm. you know, yeah, it's, and so, you know, if the paint works good on the, um, on the garage, then you can paint the rest of the house with it maybe and come up. They can uh, invent some new fee for you. <laughs> they will. And, you know, I heard some guy in Flo- a friend of mine who lives in Florida was telling me that um, apparently in certain regions in Florida, if you go off the grid, that is you disconnect your house from the power company because you want to put solar on, you want to be a hundred percent energy efficient. Uh, apparently you can lose your house. This is yep. a, a, did you hear about this? Some mm-hmm. sort of rule? What is that all about? Yeah. I, it's, um, if you don't have, if you don't have, and you know, and it, it's one of these local things, I think, but if you don't have either electricity or water to your property, you are, you know, your house is not suitable for human habitation. And it's a, you know, it's like I say, I don't know if it's a local ordinance or a state thing, but that that happens. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing. If people use their gray water to water plants and stuff and then they get fined for, you know, keeping that water, quote unquote, out of the system, even though it's still in the system, just not the system they have control over. So that's power. It's government run amok. Sure is. Sure Our representatives that. at work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to bring up this whole thing about the heat reflective paint, that it's an attempt to try to climate control in uh, harsh, hot regions. And if it works, that'd be great. But I guess my power bill would be going up anyway. Well, I would be interested. If it reduces, or, go ahead. I, I'm just curious to see if, I mean, stucco is about as good insulation as you can get. I'm curious to see how much paint can add to stone. I mean, you essentially have uh, a st- ceramic barrier, if it's true stucco, uh, if it's not plastic stucco, uh, between you and the sun. I- I'm I'm amazed. I mean, that's the reason you use stucco is because it's great insulating value. Uh, I-, I would be interested to see if-, if paint would have any effect on that at all. Yeah. Well, me too. 
<laughs> I'll film at 11. You know, and who knows if this actually reduces your electricity usage even more, it might get it down to such a level that having, you know, putting solar on your house, you then make enough electricity to where it will, um, it could sustain it because, you know, if that's where most of your electricity is going is to keep your house livable and all of a sudden you don't have to use as much, then Maybe maybe solar becomes an option for going off grid all the way. Yeah, yeah. If the if the county doesn't come in and throw me in jail for disconnecting myself off the power grid, <laughs> right? They don't throw you in jail. They just take your house from you. It's it's all oh, yeah. that. Yeah, you're still free. You just homeless. <laughs> all right, let's move on to a little bit of listener email in our mini rats segment. And I, I put this one first because it's somebody who agrees with me, and that's so rare. On this show, um, Greg says, I couldn't agree more when you say, quote, our global mindset of buy and dispose can't continue. Um, and he says, planned obsolescence has always been a hot button topic for me. Some people argue that I should replace my 20 year old car with an electric vehicle. But as long as the maintenance costs are reasonable, I'm going to keep driving it, assuming they won't jack up the insurance rates for non autonomous vehicles. We still use incandescent light bulbs in many of our rooms. I'm not about to take a perfectly functional 25-cent light bulb and throw it into the landfill just to replace it with a $3 bulb for a 100-watt equivalent. Well, you don't have to do that, but when it burns out, then you put the LED in. That's the way I do it. Um, I have, for the last few years, <coughs> I actually probably 10 years ago, I started with in, uh, uh, compact fluorescents, but now LEDs are prettier. They're, they don't have that goofy corkscrew design. So anytime a bulb goes out, I just replace it with an LED. And they're, they're not $3 anymore. They're, they're a buck and a half to two. You can buy them on Amazon well, and he says, for a buck a bulb. He says the 100-watt equivalent, and those that's what are a little more expensive. I buy 75 watts and 100 watts. That's what I keep on hand because what, what you're looking at me right now is 400 watts equivalent bulb i've got 400 watt equivalent bulbs because i and i like the daylight the the 55k uh i want white light i don't want soft light i don't want cool light i want white i want the brightest and and most sunlight sun like light you can get so yeah i buy them on amazon for a six pack for like uh 12 usually so you know two bucks a bulb um and they i figure that's the last time i'll ever replace them i just recently replaced the bulb in my daughter's room she, we, this bulb won't be replaced again by her. By the time that bulb needs to be replaced, it'll be, you know, somebody else's house, most likely. Greg illustrates a very interesting point here because he actually makes two different statements in this one uh, email. One is about the um, philosophy of the global mindset of buy and dispose, as he, as he rec- uh, states. But then he, he uses economics as a methodology of either supporting or refuting it. But I don't think it's an economic statement. I think what he's saying is, I don't like waste. And I, I, I can't agree more with that. I think that's fantastic. But then sometimes waste doesn't necessarily mean fiscal value. Like his point about getting rid of uh, the um, incandescent light bulb to not replace with a LED light bulb is a, a statement about waste. It's not a statement about money. The incandescent light bulb is so energy if inefficient that it's costing him way too much money to have that light bulb burning away every day. Um, well, not only that, but not, there's also a waste issue because, like I said, you you get 15,000 hours out of an LED or about 1,000 hours, if you're lucky, out of an incandescent. So it's both a waste and an economic issue. 
Right, right. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because if you could say, I don't want to waste what I've already got, it means that you're saying, I don't mind paying a premium for having not the latest stuff. So there's, there's an issue here about technological evolution and there's an issue here about waste. And I think there's, I don't know, there's arguments to be set on both counts, right? Like, would I drive around a 20-year-old car that was in, uh, fuel inefficient, um, had lost X percent of its compression in the in the uh, tra- in the uh, drivetrain, so I'm not getting performance out of it. Um, it squeaks. It makes way too much exhaust. It's a pain to ensure. I've got to jump it through emissions testing more times than I than I care to worry about. It doesn't have ODB two, so it's a pain to get that done. Blah blah blah. I could go on and on about this this thing, but people have an, an emotional attachment to their car, so they keep it probably because it's their car from 20 years ago versus I could buy a Tesla Model 3 and be done with all of this and never have to worry about it. And and Mark, your point's well taken too. If you buy a battery-based car, there's less moving parts that require maintenance and dare say, I would dare say that the car will last you 10 to 15 years quite happily because it doesn't have as many moving parts that are going to break. Right, but then, you know, you have the increased electricity electricity costs at your house and if, if you're not somebody who if you drive 10 or 12,000 miles a year then how long is it going to take you to for the the cost per mile whether that is electricity or fuel you know and because you're going to have maintenance either way I understand the electrical maintenance is less but whenever you do have to go in for maintenance it's more expensive because there's less of them around and so it's more specialized so how long how many miles do you have to drive for the savings of the electricity rate to overcome the price you pay on a car if you're somebody and if that cost savings is one year, well, then, you know, ditch your car today and buy something new. But if the cost savings is 17 years, well, the electric car is probably going to wear out in 17 years. And at that point, you're, you know, because at some point your 20 year old car is going to wear out anyway, or the maintenance will become, will become prohibitively expensive. And you know, at the end of your maintenance cycle, you buy a new one and then you go for more energy efficient. So it's a question of, do you want to pay up front and generate incremental savings or do you want to pay a little bit more over time? So, you know, it's a, uh, it's a hard thing and there are no 100% right answers on that because, you know, everybody's driving style is different. What I think it's interesting here is this whole discussion is, has taken a, a very different turn. Uh, he quoted me uh, when he said global mindset of buy and dispose. And I was talking about uh, the buy something cheap, use it up, throw it away, buy something else cheap versus buy something quality, keep it forever. Um, in the case of cars that we've swerved into here, uh, it's completely the other way around. The cheap car will outlast the expensive electric. The cheap gas will outlast the expensive electric. Um, that's just the way the physics is right now. It's just the way it works. Um, those batteries last, well, we don't really know. We haven't had electric cars on the, on the road for 10 years. We don't really know. Um, but we estimate, uh, battery life to be five to seven years. And then at that point, it's so cost prohibitive to replace the batteries. You might as well buy a new car. Whereas you buy even the cheapest, uh, uh, 
internal combustion gas car, you can expect 15 to 20. 20 is, is getting to end of life, but 30 and 40 are not unheard of. I mean, there are, there are 80-year-old cars still running as well as they did when they were 80 years old. Now, it took some skilled engineering and mechanics and maintenance work to get them there, but they do still exist. I don't think that the current model of electric cars can be made to last 80 years. Um, I just, uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing that you got to consider the overall, um, life of the thing. If you're going to look at an economic value, but if you look at it as a, um, what I, what best suits me, you know, for the next X years, then that those things, sometimes you, like miles, you said, you're paying a premium for, you know, your preference. And, and I think that's okay. I think where we get into the thing is, is we, uh, we, uh, we discount the value of preference or we try to put my preference on you. And so the, you know, the Honda Prius guys, um, they prefer different things than I do. I want space. I want um, a lot of steel protecting me uh, in the event of an accident. Those are things that are important to me. I'm a big guy. I need a big car. I don't need hundreds of horsepower. I don't need zero to 60. I think that's the most ridiculous statistic ever. Um, 60 to 120, that's a more valuable uh, statistic because that's what you actually need when jumping on the interstate or passing somebody. Uh, we, nobody ever talks about that though. But my preferences mean that there is just not an electric vehicle or, an elect- or a hybrid vehicle that works for me at all. And so I pay in, in different ways. I pay in fuel. I pay in, in uh, you know, at, at some point I expect to be paying penalties, tax penalties for driving a big gas guzzling car. That, that I don't think that's more than five years away. Uh, to will I will be penalized for driving the car I like. That was a long yeah. soliloquy there. I, I'm I'm sure you're thinking of which well, part no, of that you're going to respond to. You know, the thing is, you also have the political ramifications of your choice. Like, what happens when we get the next uh, hippie green president in there who wants to up the ethanol content of gasoline from 10 to 15% so they can screw the American consumer more? Then you have increased wear and tear on engines because of the hotter temperatures and the cheap material they use to build the engines. Then all of a sudden, you know, your gasoline engines aren't going to last as long or you're going to have to then buy these chemicals to make your gas twice as expensive so it doesn't destroy your car and then all of a sudden those electric cars look real good unless you live in the country and you know you use up your battery charge to get halfway to the city you're going to so you know there's a lot of factors that are going in and one of the things people never take into consideration are the factors that are outside your control people tend to assume the factors as they are today are going to stay as they are and that is rarely the case yeah, I, I think there's also that risk of early adoption being on the bleeding edge rather than the leading edge with this. Um, you brought up the point, Mark, about we don't know how long these batteries are really going to last and we and when they need to be replaced, we don't know what they're going to be replaced with, whether or not the next generation of power technology is going to be cheaper or it's going to be different or what it what it's going to be. Um Cars are recollectible too. I mean, maybe that first generation car is something people want to keep. I don't know. Um, maybe a Tesla Model S is going to be something that, you know, 50 years from now will be like having a 60s Mustang or something like that. I don't know. But, you know, the the Model Ts and Model As are still on the roads. Not many of them, 
yeah. but they're still out there. I just don't think we're going to see a Tesla Model S in the year 2050. I don't know. You'll be able to print a battery that will charge that. <laughs> Interesting. You know, um, buy your 3D printer and buy the special electric uh, electricity con- or conductive gunk to go with it. And then you can print yourself out a battery that will work with your Model S. Some, some you know, do-it-yourselfer enthusiast probably already has the plans available and is just waiting for technology to catch up. You know, I predicted years ago, like 2004, 2005, that in in the distant future, our homes would be plumbed with water, natural gas, electricity, and 3D printing chemicals. And it would be a service that you pay just like your, your water. There's a meter that, that meters how much of each chemical you use, and you get a bill each month. And so you just have, instead of a microwave, you have the replicator in your kitchen and you print up the dishes that you're going to eat on tonight. Um, and then you have this bay of solvent that is also metered. And you throw it into the solvent. It dissolves and goes down the drain out to the reclamation tank where they extract the materials back. And, and the same thing we do with water when you flush your sewage, they reclaim that. I think in the distant future, that's what... 3D printing is going to look like. It'll just be built into our homes, plumbed in a service that we pay for, and there'll be a, a delivery and a disposal all built right in. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. In- interesting and believable, but I mean, that's an awful lot of that compound to be in th- in the pipes. So I could see more. It's a vat and there are tanker trucks that drive around filling them up. So, you know, you like place your suit. order for 100 gallons of gunk um, to get delivered. Well, you live on a propane tank system, so that's a model that you're familiar with. But, right. Yeah. Interesting. But, but I think the important thing in all this discussion is that Greg agrees with me. So having recapped <laughs> that, let's move on to what Nathan has to say about his beloved friend Boris, his version of the Boris box. It says, hey, guys, hoping you can weigh in on what I can do now that my first Boris box is dead. Or dying. I built a Pentium, built it using a Pentium D Dell Optiplex and a pair of Gigabit NICs and OpenSense. After a year and a half of flawless service, it's neither fully dead nor is it working. Uh, the temp replacement is Shutter, a $30 Netgear. Then um, he goes into what's wrong with it. Um, I won't go into that right now. Uh, but then he has a question. Um, is it worth my trying, trying trying to fix the Boris box? If not, is it worth it trying to find a pro-grade router that measured up? No throughput bottleneck, no throughput bottleneck, black holing, IPS, fail to ban, and squid. So it needs usage or, uh, or storage. So it needs storage or USB. Or is Boris just teasing me and it's time to give up and rebuild him from scratch? Uh, sorry to spew like this, but the frustration is real. real. Meanwhile, keep on keeping on. You guys are a major part of my past and current tech education. Um, so I, I sent him an email with my you know quick diagnosis of what I think the issue might be. But uh, to address his issue, um, is it time to repair or rebuild uh, in my case, the Boris box um, that I, my initial one was an old laptop that used a PCMCIA card. You got the young whippersnappers among us don't even know what those are. Big cards that slide into a big slot and um, finding the network card when it died, as they do, they, they have a temporary lifespan, um, proved to be not only difficult, but expensive. I ended up paying about $50 
for just that network card. I did it because I'm stupid um, and I had a, an emotional attachment to Boris. Um, but uh, I would say hardware that old, a Pentium D, that's old. Um, I, I wouldn't invest any significant money in that. But what I would do is go to your local pawn shop and buy whatever's on their shelf for a hundred bucks and go again. Cause you're not going to be able to get any new, new replacement out of the box. That's going to give you what you want for less than about a hundred dollars. So that would be my advice. Just go to a pawn shop and buy a machine that somebody else discarded, just like probably this Pentium D was that, that somebody discarded and start over again. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, judging from his email, you're going to want to either fix or build a new one and just a simple troubleshooting step. I don't know if you've tried it or not would be to, you know, swap out the direction of the NICs and see if maybe it is your outgoing Nick that is bad. And if that's the the case, then, then you know that, Hey, it, it is that Nick and you can replace it, you know? And also you probably have a hard drive laying around, test the hard drive, see if it's bad. You know, a funky hard drive can um, do weird things with the operating system, making the device not work right. Well, this is kind of a flow over from the previous email a little bit. I've, I've built, my God, dozens of firewalls and routers and IDS systems and all of that. Um, and what I found of late, uh, we, we have a number of remote uh buildings that have CCTV camera installations and they all have independent incoming uh, public internet services uh, cable into them. And I have to be able to control the data feed uh, to a very, to a level that the normal routers, the cable providers give you won't, don't do. So um, originally I was doing a similar thing. I'd buy an old PC and I'd stick a hard drive in there. There's a little bit of RAM and, and a couple of NICs and put on, I don't know, IPCOP or something like that and it'd be good to go. Um, and that's fine, except that I started realizing that some of these locations are very hot or they're in uh, outside or it needs sort of industrial level hardware. And uh, over the course of trying a number of different uh, uh, alternatives, I stumbled upon a box on Amazon that was a small, I guess the size of a, an Intel NUC, you know, those little mi- mini micro PC. The things. Edge Router X? Um yeah, it might have been. These are from China. I know that. They're, they're, they've got four uh, gigabit NICs on the back, uh, a couple of USBs all through them, maybe a VGA port. You put um, laptop RAM in the thing, maybe an M2 uh, SSD, and uh, basically for a total cost of maybe 150 bucks out the door, you've got yourself an industrial heat-resistant firewall that is – super fast uh they were based on an intel chipset but not um old you know there'd be maybe a core i3 or something something equivalent to that and um yeah for about 150 bucks out the door i've got a four port nick uh dedicated pf sense router with all of the trimmings and all of the control that you need and it's in a little box it doesn't take much in the way of power it runs on a little five volt you know power transformer and uh, the most important thing for me was speed. Um, you know, the one thing we, we often forget is that as we pump more data through bandwidth, particularly video, 
Uh, you're watching a lot of YouTube videos or you're doing a lot of net, net, uh, flex streaming or something like that. You were taxing that router and that router used to be any old box would do. Well, not when you're starting to pump three terabytes of data through it a month. Um, you probably want to have a little bit more speed. If you're doing video games uh, and you're worried about latency and those sort of things factor into it, again, having a decent router isn't such a bad idea. And even these $30 Netgear jobs or the D-Links or whatever, they're not really going to cut it either. Um, I, I'm a big believer in build your own and understand it because it's good for security, it's good for fine-tuning, but more importantly, you can you can absolutely get the hardware the way you want based on what you need for network connections for today's application rather than applications five years ago. All right. Um, I, I personally am no longer a believer in caching. I used to aggressively cache my data, but the web today is all encrypted traffic. Um, your your video, your Netflix, your YouTube, all that stuff is coming encrypted, and and um, caching just doesn't work anymore. So, um, Greg, you, uh, Nathan, I'm sorry, Greg was the other one. You mentioned a need for storage. Uh, I'm not sure that you actually need that on the modern web. Um, I think that that caching is not really a valuable tool in in the home network anymore. Well, he might be talking in like for outgoing stuff. So the storage might not necessarily be for caching. He might have, you know, for something other as simple as, you know, a pogo plug home solution kind of thing where he's putting stuff on the box that he can get to, you know, in like a DMZ type fashion where he's not getting into his internal network. He specifically listed squid. Uh, which is a, a, a caching, probably for content management. I'm guessing using using as a squid proxy or maybe something like Dan's Guardian. Um, and those can be done uh, on, you know, like he said, USB or something like that. Uh, so the, the one that I mentioned, the Edge Router X, is a $49 box available from Amazon, elementop.com slash Amazon. Edge Router, one word, X. Um, it's a cheap four NIC, um, router, uh, capable of VLANing and all kinds of cool stuff like that. It doesn't have any storage built in, uh, but that in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing is a really inexpensive, low power, uh, option. It's from ubiquity, U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-I, the ubiquity edge router X. Um, and, uh, it comes with 256 megs of storage, which isn't a lot, but it's enough to run something like a Dan's Guardian, just c- caching uh, small bits of, of data. Um, so anyway, those yeah, are you, my... Ubiqu- Ubiquity is a very good brand. We use their edge routers uh, in our data centers on their higher-end kind of enterprise mm-hmm. products, and they're very, very price competitive, and they run like tanks. They don't die. They're, they're, at least my experience has been nothing but good with Ubiquity. Yeah, and I'm looking at Amazon right now, 50 bucks prime. So you can have it in two days for fifty bucks. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a DIY thing. You're going to need to know what you're doing. Um, uh, but it is a full fledged edge router um, designed to be an endpoint. Um, so I, I think if I were going to buy something today, that's what I would buy. Uh, my home setup is um, I have a uh, Buffalo router running DDWRT that I can control my security on, and I have that plugged into the Google Wi-Fi, and that is the best setup I've ever had for home use. 
um, took care of all my bottlenecks. But you have to you just sort of let go and let Google. Um, it totally takes over your network. The only endpoint I control is that Buffalo router at the edge. Uh, it completely controls all my network. Um, and, and I had a hard time with that. At first, I tried to, to, to take the wheel. Um, and I got poor performance and I was disappointed with it until I finally decided, well, let's just set this thing up, let it do what it does and face it. It's smarter than I am. And my network has never been better. So that's where I am these days. I don't even run a Boris box anymore. I have sold out completely. I'm no longer the tightwad tech. That's it. I'm out. (laughs) Well, Seth, it's been a good five years. It's been nice. (laughs) And then lastly, Drew, uh, I've had this one sitting in the the mailbox for a while. Uh, he sounds off about our discussion we had about uh, cops using Facebook as their essentially their um, made a, a method of gathering data. He says, in regard to police using Facebook to ID people, my wife is a skip trace officer for a debt collection lawyer. While she has access to LexisNexis and several other proprietary tools, almost daily she comes home with tales of how Facebook is also a tool that she uses to find this person or that. While a growing percentage of users set up their privacy filters, a high percentage of their friends and family do not. All it takes is one insecure accountant to tag someone who she's looking for, and she has them. Joe Bob tagged Barry in a picture of him in a work t-shirt. Now she knows where Joe Bob works. Call the employer, verify employment, submit papers to courts, and garnish paycheck. So Facebook, all your base are belong to us. It's scary, isn't it? But it's it doesn't surprise me, but it's scary that we live in a world where you can do that. I mean, we couldn't have done that 20 years ago. I mean, right. it would have been very hard. It would have been only the purview of those authorized to have access to that data. But today, anybody can do it. And it, this, she's obviously a professional in her, and, you know, regulated, I guess, in her, in her area. But um, let's face it, everybody's got Facebook. So it would be the same thing that anybody else could do. Yeah, I exactly. Uh, uh, we had a birthday party for my uh, youngest. She turned nine last week, but the party was was this week. And I posted some pictures. And the standard Facebook settings are friends plus friends. Um, interestingly, it's very difficult to just do friends only. You can do specific people, but to do just friends, that first level is very difficult. But Facebook intentionally makes that difficult to do. So I did friends plus friends. So my wife is obviously one of my friends, and all of her friends could see it. And her settings, when she shared it, was friends plus friends. And so I had people commenting on it that I didn't know. And I asked my wife, who is that? I'm not sure. And they're saying things like, what a cute little girl. And we trace it down and it's, you know, it's a friend of a friend of a friend uh, commenting on the pictures I posted of my nine-year-old. Now, I, you know, I'm pretty guarded about what I put on Facebook, but it's that same sort of thing, right? If you, if you think you're guarded, but your friends are not and their friends are not and their friends are not, um, it's very important that you, you, uh, be careful about what you share and how you share it. Yeah. Because you have your privacy set up good and then your friend comments on it. Now, everybody who has access to their feed sees that unless you specifically block that person, they see that you, they see, oh, wow, that is a cute pick. I'm going to jump in on that too. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've had just running, I've had running conversations in the comments on people I don't know, uh, because that, you know, 
a person who is a mutual friend of ours posted something and I said something snarky just because, you know, I was being silly. And this other person who I didn't know said something snarky. Then I said something snarky back to them. And we started this conversation and we didn't know each other. We had never met in real life, but we were talking on somebody else's post on Facebook. So yay, interconnectivity. So (laughs) it's, it's scary though, because you know, similar situation to that. I, I was on my uh, tablet sitting watching TV and I was just checking my email or something. And Google maps have been constantly updating and adding all of these wonderful additive things. So, you know, I've done a little bit of traveling this year. I took a lot of photos and you put them on uh, Google photos to back them up or to share them with family or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're getting all these notifications and emails coming like, can Google use your photo to, uh, as a reference to this place you went to? Or can you tell us, you know, was it good, bad or indifferent or whatever? So, I, you know, like a review. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've done that. I've, you know, I've added to it. Um, thinking that I'm doing somebody else a favor. And uh, three months later, I get this notification on Google who's telling me, Every trip I've ever made in my car for each day of the week with a map showing everywhere I went and where I was and how long I was there and a photo of where I stopped and where I got a cup of coffee and where I ended up getting gas and then where, you know, and I'm like, what do you, you, why did you put a freaking tracer on the back of my car and then just, you know, let me just broadcast wherever I am or, you know, attach uh, an ankle bracelet to me and act like I'm a felon. This is... This is ridiculous, but this is default behavior now. But they don't have to because they convinced you to pick one up voluntarily and shove it in your pocket. So, and of course, we all know that that's private information sensitive to you and Google only. And there's no account in the history of social media of any large company having data breaches that would cause that information to be able to get out in public. And, you know, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm a fat middle-aged white guy. I don't care if people know what I do. But if I had an, an 18-year-old daughter who had a phone like this and to know that somebody could get on there and see, because you know there's people, I mean, you know, look, I'm not trying to say the sky is falling, but you know there's people who, if they can find that information out, are going to just because there's people of that kind in society. And there's, I have, I have no ability to control or protect my family members. If they pick up a universal tracking system and voluntarily opt in to every app that they put on their phone to share their complete location history. You know, people, you know, it's where they live, you know, their friends' houses and all of this. And even if I never tag myself at my house, what happens if somebody comes over and checks in, you know, because I had a Super Bowl party, checked in, it says Super Bowl party. Now my, my information is all over Facebook where I live. Yay. Interconnectivity. You know, and and it's very, Sorry, go ahead, Miles. <laughs> go ahead, Miles. No, I was going to say, it's very, very difficult to opt out. Um, that was one of the things I noticed about this mapping thing was that I didn't even realize I opted in, to be honest. I had no idea that it was tracking my GPS location everywhere I went and then feeding it back to me like, ha-ha, look what we found. I'm like, yeah, really? If, if you turn really on Google, Google now... If you turn on location sharing for Google now, that's exactly what it does. And again, we've had this discussion before. I am all about it. 
Google take all my data as long as you give me something valuable in return because it, it's public information. Um, where I live is a matter of, of public record. Um, all you have to do is follow me to find that it's effort, right? So, uh, the, the only thing, the thing that you guys are scared about is that it's now effortless. And so that now evil people can both be evil and lazy. Um, but honestly, it, there's, there's no new information here. Everybody, anybody, not everybody, anybody could see where you go on a given day. They can go to the public street. You know, they could go to Arizona. They could watch you. Miles, you own a company. You, you brand it on the show. You wear hats with your logo on it. It would not be hard to find one of your locations and sit and watch and look for you. You're, you're broadcasting your face on this stream right now. I look for you. I follow yeah. you. I follow you home. I follow you to work. I follow you to the coffee shop. The, the only difference is that now I could be both lazy and uh, a, a stalker. It's empowering the bad. And it's, it's kind of, I don't know, at some point, when are we not a number and we're a name? You know, when are we losing our identity and just a piece of data on a computer? And it's just the whole thing is just getting really sick. And I, I, at some point, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm really just going live in an island somewhere. It just gets you after a while. I mean, I won't, but sheesh. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person to feel that way, though. Yeah, when the, and the thing, you know, the thing that makes it hard is there's no way to enjoy the conveniences of modern society and maintain a level of protection or awareness because I don't have control over that information. That information is taken, you know, quote unquote, with my consent. Yeah, right. But and then it is shared out to groups who then turn around and share it out to other groups and, you know, and then they tell two companies and they tell two companies. And the next thing you know, data couriers um, local in Uzbekistan knows that I go to Taco Bell five times a week, you know? So it's just like, I, I want the, I just, I want a little common uncommon sense to be brought back into you know, the year 2017, you know, if we can circle back around, put a pin in 2017 and circle <laughs> back around to when the running main was made in the eighties and just, you know, there wasn't much left then, but at least there was still some uncommon sense and pick some of that up and then come back and just say, here, you dropped this in the past. <laughs> Don't lose it again. And maybe we could be a little bit better. Well, I mean, the, the difference here, the distinction that we're making is the difference between publicly available information and privately inf available information. Seth, when you made the joke that nobody's, there's never been a data breach ever in the history, you're talking about the release of privately available information. Things like, you know, your passwords, for example, uh, things like your demographic data. And, you know, it, it's, it's unheard of for a software company to lose, oh, say, $3 billion uh, users data in a single hack that's never happened right yeah I, you know and the thing the thing about this is yahoo kind of played it as good as they could play it because back in a year ago they said hey half a billion accounts got hacked three years earlier 
And now it's, oh, by the way, it was every account that we had. And you say, oh, well, that's no problem. I just changed my password. Well, okay, you secured your account. But the thing is, they now know your mother's maiden name, your favorite dog, and your favorite high school teacher growing up, the same security questions you use for every other website. And they know your secondary email address. So, yay, you switched to Google and you forgot you had the Yahoo account. But now they know that, oh, I can go to this Google account and I can try these security questions and I can get in, but it's okay. We had you change your password. So, you know, and again, we just have no, we have no control. This is a case you could have done everything right. Change your password, you know, every six months or how often the only thing you can do and you can't go back in time and do it is to make up random answers to security questions on websites, but then you have to keep that information somewhere. And if you keep it on another website, you're really not doing any good. So you have to like get a safe, at your house and hire an armed guard and keep that information in there on Yahoo. I said, my favorite dog was old yeller and on hotmail. I said it was, you know, Shane. And then whenever I went to Google, I said it was fluffy lumpicus, you know, and then you're not going to be able to remember that who cares how much memory is on your phone. Your brain only has so much information and we've long since abandoned our brain has a storage thing. So, you know, we haven't, um, we haven't upgraded our capacity there, but yay, all of Yahoo's accounts were hacked four years ago and they let it out in dribble and drabble. And now it's like, everybody's so mad about Experian. How long has Yahoo been sitting on this and thinking, when can we let this out without any media backlash? Oh, Experian had a big hack and that's, you know, people's financial stuff. Let's go ahead and leak ours out now. So way to go, Yahoo. Yeah, so the the killer quote here is from Amazon, uh, quote, uh, excuse me, from Yahoo, uh, based on an analysis of the information with the assistance of an outside forensic experts, uh, Yahoo has determined that all accounts that existed at the time of the August 2013 theft were likely affected. That pretty well says it all right there. All of them. It's it's the same as um, um, the... (sighs) Credit Bureau, I've forgotten. Experience. Experience. You know, saying, you know, uh, something like 300 million uh, users. Well, that's all of them, by the way. You know, Um, but in this case, it's 300 billion. I mean, excuse me, 3 billion. Um, uh, There's only a population of the entire globe is is between 6 and 7 billion. So that's all adults and a lot of children on the planet. Essentially, of course, there are multiples. I have two or three Yahoo's over throughout throughout the years because I forgot passwords or whatever. But yeah, they're all they're all things now. Um, and I, I just very recently was talking with somebody uh, about hiring practices, and and it was like if I see a Yahoo account on a resume, I just throw that one in the bin. You know, because what does that say about that person <laughs> if you're still using your Yahoo account, especially if you're applying for a tech job? Just say no. Um, but yeah, three billion, all of them. Uh, so I was affected. Uh, Seth, I know you were affected. Miles, I'm guessing you had a Yahoo account in August of 2013. I didn't. I had an account that was used for Yahoo groups, but it had nothing to do with me. It shared nothing in common with any of my regular security credentials. So I really was not affected by this. Um, yeah, but I, I'm... 
I'm I'm one of those freaky tinfoil hat guys that runs his own mail server and runs his own data center stuff. So I'm you know I'm able to have some level of control, albeit it's with all that power comes great responsibility. I've got to keep the damn thing up, but um, I've not. Um, outsourced any of the responsibility to things like email or file storage or anything like that to a third party. And that's probably just my natural non-trustiness of anything corporate. I haven't used Yahoo Mail in this century. Uh, you know, 97, 98, 99, I was using Yahoo Mail. But I, they do have a really excellent fantasy football program. And I've used that up until just the last couple of years. Uh, so I was definitely part of that hack, but yeah, all the data that it had, except for my name, was bogus. Um, I used my real name for the you know fantasy football stuff, but that's it. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. But at the same time, you know, this was a thing that was quietly leaked out, um, and it's hard to even be mad at them because it's not a question of if it's when. It doesn't matter how good your security is; um, you can't secure your people. And almost always, these things get in through a person. Right. This is a golden age for criminals. I mean, it really is. Like, it used to be they had to go and put on stupid ski masks and go and rob a bank to get a bundle of money. Not now. They're sitting on their butts having a, you know, with a pizza delivery, and they're just going nuts on the online, and they're making buku dollars, and they're doing nothing for it. And we sit back and go... Wow, you know, we've created this this world of automation and everything's so simple and we can sit on our butts and do nothing and talk to, you know, our friend in Singapore or something from the other side of the planet. Yeah, so can the criminals. So, so it's we, an equal we've opportunity. Given, we've situation. given them everything. It is. It's it's an equal opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh, I don't know. It's uh, sometimes. There's just some days, man, you just want to say, I'm going, go, I'm going to become Amish. <laughs> you know, the technology makes lives easier for the good and the bad. You know, um, the murderers are more efficient murderers because of modern technology. Thieves are more efficient thieves because of modern technology. Um, the, you know, this doesn't bother me. This is just the way things are. Yeah. We've got, to, hey, we've got to take control of this ourselves. This isn't also something we can expect our governments or our elected officials to do. Man, they don't even know how to turn on a computer, half of them. They've got no idea about technology. And then the ones that do come in with weird ideas that make no sense as well. So let, let's, not, let's not let them take care of this, all right? We're going to have to do it ourselves. And you don't want to teach them how to turn on a computer because then they'll think, oh, this is something we can tax people for. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. you know, that's their first thought is how can we generate revenue for the government, you know, so we can pad our pensions and our, I'm sorry, not our pensions, our reelection campaigns. We all know that's what it is. Everything's on the up and up. There is no corruption or vice or grafting going on anywhere in the halls of any legislative body that meets anywhere in this country. I'm sorry to impugn the reputation from everyone from a lowly school board member all the way up to the mighty halls of Congress. I, I apologize and beg the Internet's <laughs> forgiveness. Yeah, so while we live in a world where criminals can can do evil things from their mother's basements, we also live in a world where a uh, hurricane-destroyed uh, island can get 
a return to the world of the connected by way of a hot air balloon. That's pretty cool. Yes. You know, we've talked um, previously on this show. uh, I don't know how recently it's been about Google's project loon, uh, you know, to use uh, balloons to, you know, basically, so you don't have to go all the way up to the stratosphere for the satellite has, um, you know, using balloons to deliver connectivity to parts of the world where, you know, digging cable or setting up tower relays every few miles would be cost prohibitive. So the FCC has allowed Alphabet, Google's parent company, a temporary experimental license to operate uh, from October. So this has already started through April of next year um, to use um, their project Loon to enable LTE cell reception in like Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands from, you know, when the hurricane came through and basically leveled the island. So this is, you know, I mean, we talk about Google being evil and part of the job of an evil company is to do good things to show the world that they're not evil. And so here is Google doing something good for society. And, you know, and of course, I mean, they get the benefit of the good publicity and testing the real world scenario and all of that, but it is still kind of cool that we can, you know, put some balloons up over an island and get cell service back yeah it is it is um a little bit of a reality check it doesn't help to have really good lte reception where you've got no drinking water and no food so i don't think yeah, they're but helping Google can't that fix that they're doing what they can do they can't yeah. bring food. They're a, they're a technology company. They can send money, and I'm sure they have because that makes them look good. But you know, don't don't downgrade the good thing that they're doing because they're not doing the good thing that you wish they were doing. Um, there there are people doing that. There are people delivering food. There are people delivering water. And in this interconnected world, um, you know, data is is almost as important as food and water. Not quite, but it's really close. Well, I know that I know Elon Musk has seen this as another opportunity to go in there with his solar panels and his battery and save the day. I mean, he's getting a lot of press on that one as well. I, I'm just, I just don't know how much of this is just political bantering and opportunistic exercises for these companies to make themselves look good, whereas still the people on the ground are suffering. And it, and and look, I mean, look. What is the solution to the people on the ground? We've got to send in either the military or something to be able to bring them what they need to be able to get through the day. But and and yes, as a second tier thing, I agree. Google's doing something helpful here. Musk is probably going to do something helpful as well. But I just don't want the spotlight to go to that when we're forgetting the original on the ground problems that are there. Well, this illustrates the fact that Google is so big that they are essentially an NGO, a non-government entity now. And they are they are doing the work of other NGOs across the country, whether it be relief work or, you know, uh, as one uh, uh, Washington Post uh, author says, uh, that they've, they've become a national threat because they're too big. Um, you know, Google is so big that you can't call it any one thing anymore. Yeah, no. And, you know, before we go to that story, I understand. But here's the deal. 
people on the ground have a way to communicate with the hub of resources. So, you know, you can't just, you don't want them to drive, spend all day driving out on an Island, come back, give the report. And so that way the next day stuff can get organized to go out. They can go out and say, Hey, we need an ambulance at grid plot. So-and-so, Hey, you know, there's people here. Hey, you know, we need heavy machinery here to rescue people trapped in rubble. So this project is a, you know, technology and research and altruism and all of this. This is an overlap. You know, you draw the Venn diagrams with all the circles and this hits the sweet spot of all of them. And so, you know, as I facetiously said, you know, it's allowing them to put a good face on their company. But, you know, if this is the only thing that we're going on on the island, I would have a problem with it. But this enables the aid that is already there to be disseminated faster, you know, and you don't have to spend so much time searching and reporting and waiting for people to come back. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm Google's big enough now. I still, I don't think I, I don't know. Do I want to bash Google or Apple more? I think I still want to bash Apple more, but you know, this is, I got to hand it to Google for doing something good here. So. It's a it's a multi headed beast, and uh, yeah. you know I I got a little prickly there when Miles said that they're not doing the right thing. I I get a little frustrated when people go out and do something good, and they're criticized for not doing the good thing that people would prefer that they do. Um, you know, and and restoring cell service to an island devastated by hurricanes is is in no way a bad thing. Um, you know, Seth, you cited some great examples there, just basic emergency response services, um, or, or, you know, uh, disaster, re- uh, 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 recovery, um, co- coordination, all these things require communications in, in, in 2017, um, it, it probably goes food, water, shelter bandwidth. Um, and so they're, they're meeting the bandwidth need. And so, uh, I don't want to dump on them. If they get some positive credit out of this, what's the harm in it? Even if the whole thing was entirely a uh, a PR stunt, so what? They're making lives better for people. Um, wh- what's what's the negative? Well, um, I understand where you're coming from, and I don't want to be. I don't want to come across like I'm, um, you know, dumping on Google about doing what the best they can do given their resources. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm trying to keep it real because if you've got no power. What's the point of trying to have great cell service if you can't charge your phone? I mean, it's it, it, there's a whole bunch of just basic sort of higher priority things that are not anything. Look, uh, give Google a pass here. That's not Google's problem. You don't have power. It's not Google's problem. You don't have water or food or that, you know, there's lack of hospitalization or medicine. It's not. But what we have to as a society remember is that tech is a wonderful thing, but it ain't the basic law of survival. Um, It can help, but it can't help you without food, water and clothing and and shelter. And these are the things that I think need – I mean, look, Google has to do what Google can do. Google is great about doing what they're doing. All power to them. Let them do it. All right, I, I don't, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't want to bash on Google about this. I'm probably more frustrated with um, government. I'm more frustrated with infrastructure investments and I'm more frustrated with the, the lack of use of the military to go in there and to shore these things up to allow Google to do the best thing possible and to have the greatest effect. 
So, yeah, I, all right. Google, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't be dumping on you. But I am dumping on all that other stuff. All right, so to pick up with the story that I tried to lead into uh, earlier, um, there are people who are genuinely afraid. Of, uh, we're picking on Google because the the New York the Washington Post picks on Google, but any s- significantly large organization is a threat to other large organizations. And um, throughout history, there has been the church and the government, the king and the church. Right? Those are the bu- those are the big organizations. And they have been battled, uh, battling for millennia. You know, the Pope versus the King uh, is is a long story. Um, governments, b- big entities, like to be in control. So, you know, Miles, the 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 U.S. military. You're talking about using the military for hum- human relief, uh, humanitarian uh, uh, efforts. Uh, some would say that is the job of the military. Others would say it's not the job of the military. I'm not even going to have that discussion right now. But the point is, militaries belong to governments. There, There is no, you don't own a military, Miles. Um, there are some organizations, however, that own enough mechanized equipment that they might as well be, be a military. And when, when organizations get that big, other organizations consider them a threat. Um, and so this, uh, this law professor uh, at Fordham University uh, says that Google um, has become a threat to modern society, that they're crushing uh, open markets uh, or dampening open markets, that, uh, that their, their own market power has, has become to, uh, has begun to corrupt them. And, and, you know, I think it's at least worth having these discussions, but let's not forget that Google is not a person. Google is a group of people, just as the U.S. government is not a person. Google, uh, the U.S. government is a group of people. And so it's essentially, this is the group of people you like versus the group of people you don't like. That's really what this all comes down to. Right. And I can tell that the person who wrote this, um, who, uh, you know, and this article is referencing a Washington Post column. And I can tell the person who wrote the Washington Post column is is someone from a liberal persuasion because it's the government's responsibility to regulate and control Google and break it up because it's too big. Whereas it's not the individuals who use Google services blindly, you know, and, and again, I'm not talking people like you, Mark, who you've made your Excel spreadsheet decision tree, you know, do I want to give up this brain function to Google? What are the pros and cons and all that? But versus people who say, I don't know, I just go to Google and type it in and I use them for email and, and then I get on the Facebook space and that's how I know what other people are doing because that's what everybody else is doing. Whereas they don't, they just blindly follow the masses giving these corporations power because let's face it, if, if for the next week nobody used Facebook, Facebook would change dramatically because then rev then companies would not be paying money to advertise on Facebook and their advertisements, you know, site traffic would go down and all of that. And Facebook wouldn't be a problem. People, I mean, you know, we're not going to go back to Yahoo mail, but you know, you can go to hotmail or whatever Microsoft is calling theirs this week or any other, uh, there's still got to be a few more mail servers, um, around, or we can, you know, start our own regional ones, your ISP usually gives you one and quit using Google for search, go to DuckDuckGo or, you know, maybe Yahoo search and just don't use your real name and, or Bing, you know, you gotta admit, Los Links, those are some great commercials. 
miles from being. They deserve an occasional search just for those commercials. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, Google loses their data and they become less large. And then the government didn't have to do anything. Informed people made the decision, I'm not going to do that because I think they're too big and I think they're a threat. One person does that, no big deal. A million people do that, then all of a sudden it's going to feel the pinch. So while, you know, the company may or may not be too big, you know, you have to be big enough to deliver services. Um, and how big does it have to be? I don't know. But then, you know, if Google wasn't big enough, they wouldn't be able to create a network for people's cell phones to work and they can call out and say, yes, honey, I'm alive. I just, you know, there's no harbors for the ships to get me out of here, you know? And then so they, they can't do that if they don't have the millions and billions of dollars to pour into R&D. So is Google too large? I mean, I think so, but at the same time, you know, Gmail has become my primary email address and we're doing this show with Google Hangouts using Google Docs. So, you know, we're part of the problem. Miles, I'll I know you have a comment. <laughs> are they too big? Mm, are we too weak that we refuse to try anything else? Um, maybe we've brought our own problem upon ourselves and we're expecting our government to bail us out of making our own bad dis- mistakes. I'm not a fan of that. Well, uh, let me pause um, you there. Anytime mm-hmm. you're expecting anybody to bail you out, whether it's government or Google or anybody else in between or the church or the Pope, if you expect some other entity higher than yourself to bail you out, that's a problem. And and we have created a society of people who who a hundred percent of the time expect some larger entity to bail themselves out. And, and what's true of, of government and what's true of the church and what's true of Google is that none of their resources are their own. All of their money, all of their power is yours. And when we start realizing that suddenly there's not so much to be afraid of. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Are there anything that I'm kind of annoyed at Google about? There's a lot of things I like about Google. The only thing I'm annoyed at Google about is that a lot of the people 10 years ago, maybe even as much as 15 years ago, who were uh, real up-and-comers in terms of areas of research, areas of um, maybe uh, uh, evangelism in certain technologies like open source technologies, uh, people like Ray Kurzweil, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a researcher, um, those sort of people, they all got swept up and employed by Google. And then you start wondering whether or not they have the right to wax philosophically without worrying about their paycheck. And that's kind of scary because these are people that I really respected their work from before. And now it's kind of all become Google's work. And I don't really know who's behind what anymore and how much of it is being influenced by their own security requirements, you know? or by what Google wants you to hear. Um, so it is a bit scary. On the other hand, uh, they made the choice to become Google employees. Money, you know, they got, they sold, not, I don't want to use the word sold out. Well, I guess they did, didn't they? I mean, they basically said, we out there used to be these great, you know, um, evangelists of certain technologies or civil rights or whatever, but we needed to pay the mortgage, so we took a job with Google, and now we're just going to quieten down a bit. 
But see, they wouldn't say they sold out. They would say they cashed in. Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, because you know, there's the old joke among uh, liberal arts uh, majors that, you know, the only thing you're equipped to do with a philosophy degree is think deep thoughts about being unemployed. Um, the fact is, people got to eat and money's got to come from somewhere. And while certainly Ray Kurzweil didn't need any more money, he already had plenty of money. Um, I got to think that he didn't join Google for the money. He joined it b- because he saw an opportunity to advance his goals, whatever those might be. In his case, it's to live long enough to become a machine. Uh, so, you know, everybody makes a choice, of, you know, d- to sort of diverge, digress a little bit. Uh, I, I don't believe in things like, for example, the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, if you can't sell art, your art has no value. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. If your art had value, you wouldn't be a starving artist. Starving artists, by definition, are poor artists. You're making something that the world doesn't see uh, uh, or doesn't need or doesn't want. And maybe when you're, when you're dead, your art will have value, but currently it doesn't. So go do something else. Come on, Mark. Transition over to pay for what you like. This You've set it up perfect. Come on. I was waiting. I got, got to go. The problem isn't that they're not any good. The problem is we have a society that expects the data I give you for allowing, you know, for using my aggregated stuff. And when I search for things should enable me to get that without paying them any money. I want it for free, dadgummit, so I can use my money to stand in lines and buy mediocre coffee from Starbucks just to get meta on the whole show here. <laughs> I hadn't even well, thought about that, Seth, but that is a, an excellent lead-in to the concept of, you know, you get what you pay for, you either pay for it with your money, or you pay for it with your attention, or you pay for it with your data, or you pay for it with your privacy, or you pay for it with your freedom in the long run. Or you define what your needs are based on a single organization telling you what your needs are and controlling the conversation. Oh, you mean like Apple? Well, possibly (laughs) Apple, possibly Facebook, possibly Google, telling you that this is what you want and therefore you come to us to get it. That's scary. If the converse, you know, look, the conversation that we're having in regards to Google and Google-like activities and so on now is fine. But meanwhile, you know, SpaceX are out there trying to get to Mars right now, and Google's not. So, I'm um, thank God that they are right. Like, thank God somebody is doing something different, and Google isn't controlling the entire conversation. That's that's where the danger is. We need. Lots and lots and lots of other little Googles around the place that can come up with different points of reference so that not one is controlling the, the thought of the masses. But you really you know, or go ahead, Mark. I, I, I just want to, do you really think Google or Facebook or any organization like that has the ability to control thought? I mean, you, you're a yeah, little more Machiavellian I, yeah. than I am. Well, I, I'm thinking herd-like. I, I'm thinking that if everybody diverts their search to Google and rather than their brains turning on and thinking adequately about something, that they go to Google for their search. They go to YouTube to watch their media and it's what Google is recommending to them that is adjunct to what they watched before but with a slight twist the way they want them to go. It's very, very easy for Google to control the um, psychological desires of anybody who's watching their stuff. Very easy. And whether they do or they don't, the possibility is there when it's all in one organization's uh, wheelhouse. 
and Mark, I got to turn this around on you. How can you look at society today and think that companies don't control thought? People don't think. I mean, just just we wouldn't be in the state we were in if people would put down their phones for a day and ponder how we got here. You know, but that's not going to happen because we need to go to our echo chambers so they can tell us what we have to be outraged at today so we can all be mad at Experian for giving up the data and we can let Yahoo off the hook because they gave up the data years ago. We're past that now. I mean, how can you think that people aren't being their thought isn't being controlled, but it's being shaped and directed? Okay, I'll give you I'll give you influenced. Uh, but not controlled. But again, what what entity that has had the ability to influence thought in the history of man has chosen not to do it? Yeah, nobody. Because that, no, that's what right. you pay nobody. for. Nobody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the the church. It was the state. Uh, it was the, uh, the Madison Avenue. You know, their entire goal. Um, those of you who don't live in the U.S., Madison Avenue is is shorthand for advertising in in the U.S. Um, you know their their entire goal is to influence you to into certain behaviors. But then again, isn't that exactly what taxes are for? To to tax the things we don't want you to do and and give you rebates for the things we do want you to do. Um, I mean, humanity is about trying to influence others. I I do it every day with my children. I influence them. I, I brainwash my children. It's called parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to single out a single entity and say that this one is more evil than, than that for doing what all humans have done since the dawn of man, um, I think is a little specious. How dare you say this is my fault? <laughs> I need the government to fix it. <laughs> The the fact is, uh, you use the word Miles. Humans are a herd animal, um, right. and they will follow anything that looks like leadership. It doesn't have to be real leadership; it just has to look like there leadership. You, there you go, quoting from American president again. <laughs> I was actually just quoting from my own high school experience. You know, the 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 jerk jock got the chicks because his behavior looked like leadership. It wasn't, but it looked like it. And if people don't know the difference. They follow it. Um, you know, so you're either, you know, to quote, I think it was Patton, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Uh, you're, you're one of those three people in every situation. You're a leader, you're a follower, or you're a, a bystander. Um, and you're probably all three of them at different points in your life. Um, so w- when somebody steps out to be a leader, the easiest thing to be is a commentator. You sit back and you don't have to have a good idea. You just have to find faults with the other ideas. And so we have a world of commentators, three of them right here who've spent the last hour and 40 minutes <laughs> commentating, you know, so we're every bit of, as much as a, a part of the problem as anyone else. Um, but I just, I, it gets a little frustrating to me when suddenly some entity that gets big enough is suddenly they're the bad guy just because they have succeeded in doing what you really wish you could do. Yeah, because I would do it better. And it's like, you know, we vilify the rich all while trying to gain wealth. I think I'm going to make it so next week is every day is opposite day. <laughs> I, I don't like this herd thing. I'm going to try and do exactly the opposite of everything else in the world. See how that goes. Many, many years ago, I had a conversation with a young girl um, who was 
wearing the the classic goth uh, early '90s uh, style of you know, skulls and and black spiked hair and and uh, you know uh, mascara over one eye and that kind of thing. And I asked her, um, you know, why why do you dress like that? And her reason was because I want to be different. Really? Okay. Tell me about where you got your your jewelry. Oh, well, it was at this cool little boutique down in Deep Ellum, which is a, a trendy place down in, in Dallas, um, where they sell this sort of stuff. Okay, so you are so different that a person makes his living selling that stuff to different people. How different are you when, when everything you've bought is mass-produced in China and sold to you by a person who makes his living off of, quote, different people? Nobody is different, and the more you set out to be different, the more you just blend in with a different herd. Well, That's you well know, said. Yeah, people, they don't want choice, Mark. They want the illusion of choice. And anybody who has seen The Matrix and any, I think it, that was brought out <laughs> one of the fan film sequels that were made, you know, we don't really want choice. We just want the illusion of choice. So if it doesn't matter how many other people are doing it, just as long as nobody around me is doing it, I can claim the originality of being different just because I chose to rip off a different set of ideas than you chose to rip off when you followed the masses. Right. In a, in a recent conversation, sound? somebody asked the, the group that I was in, are you a leader or are you a follower? Uh, recognizing that at some point all of us are, you know, some of the things. And my response was, I'm either a leader or I'm antisocial. It all depends on whether or not people choose to follow me. Because I go do my own thing, and you either follow me or you don't. And honestly, most of the time, I don't care. Um, so, no, I'm not a follower. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a, an antisocial guy uh, striking off into the wilderness and probably will, you know, be reported found dead. Uh, on the mountaintop, but at least I will have done it my way to quote uh, the famous song lyrics. <laughs> anyway, so that's, you know, that's why I have a podcast uh, so I can rake in millions and millions of dollars uh, by espousing the beliefs that other people already hold. No, wait, that's <laughs> Limbaugh. He did that. I failed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the only thing that separates me from Rush Limbaugh is time and talent. So that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> other than that, I mean, you know, we're uh, he he's a I guess he's an elderly uh, white man now, and I'm a middle aged fat white man. So you know, we we're very similar uh, like that. Just one good break and a lot of talent. That's all that's you it. need. That's it. You know. All right. Have we beaten this horse? Is it ready for the glue factory? I think it is. Okay. Uh, so let's I'm, I haven't looked at it Seth wh what do you got to end the show for me okay so if you've ever like if you woke up and you the burning question in your mind is is today Christmas go to this website <laughs> is it Christmas uh oh a bit of is it Christmas dot com <laughs> oh that's good so <laughs> oh man you know sometimes you, you want to know this for people they've got to go to is it christmas.com <laughs> that's just just go there and find out you're like you know you wake up 
is it Christmas yet? You know, if if like if Will Ferrell yelling Santa is the best thing in your life, then you need this needs to be the first place you go. Uh, access this on the website isitchristmas.com. You don't even need the www dot anymore. And just you know, when you get here, hit you know your little internet icon and then go to your bookmarks or leave it has another tab, and you will know if today is Christmas. Because the world needs to know. Spoiler alert, today is not Christmas. But, you know, it depends on what day you're listening to this. Today might be Christmas. You need to go to this website to verify. Well, otherwise, you really can't know for sure. There's, there's, there's only one authoritative source, and that is isitchristmas.com. That's right. <laughs> All right, so now this is the part of the show where I ask you to tell me what you think. You have heard well over an hour of what I think. Tell me what you think. Go to elementopi.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest caption. Fill out the form, and that will send an email that gets priority in my inbox. Or you can send an email to geekrant at elementopi.com and uh, let us know what you think. Or you can dial 559-IAM-OPI and leave a voicemail on our Google voice line. Uh, because, yeah, it's Google. Yeah. Google Docs, Google, Gmail, Google Hangouts, and, and Google Voice. So uh, let us know what you think. Sound off. Um, I have been told by by experts in the field that a good way to to uh, foster audience engagement is to give them assignments, to have a call for action. Um, and apparently, I'm doing it wrong because at every at the end of every show, I have a call for action. Tell me what you think. Either you don't think anything, or I'm doing a bad job of a call for action. Which is it? Only you know. So, having said all of that, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. So, this week in history, on October the 7th, 1954, the first transistor calculator was created. IBM researchers modified an existing Model 604 vacuum tube calculator to use transistors. Now, while this experiment didn't shrink the desk size machine nor make it any faster, it did use only 5% of the power of the vacuum tube-based design. So this encouraged further experimentation by IBM, which introduced the first commercial transistor calculator four years later, the Model 608. And that all happened this week in history, Mark. And now, back to you. Stuff was big, and now it's small. Yeah, that must have been heavy. You wouldn't want to carry that around in your pocket, huh? No. Well, it, well, it was this. It was a desk size right. thing. So, you know, don't think like a desktop computer. Think a desk. So right. that was you. You wouldn't. You would need like um, a dolly, you know, and a flatbed to haul this around, and uh, apparently a lot of power to use it because vacuum tubes suck the juice. So, people always. Um, or not always, but often like to talk about the uh, uh, the robots are going to take our jobs. the The word calculator was first applied to humans. There was a a calculator pool. There was a group of people, often women, uh, who worked in large uh, number crunching industries. NASA being a good example of them, IBM being another. And their job was to do long division and complex equations with their slide rules. And they were calculators. And you would run your you would come up with your equation and you being the uh executive type person or the engineer type person your time was too valuable to be spent in working the math you would hand that down to a group of people that did the math they were the calculators 
um, and then they would send the results back to you. And then you would take those results and plug it into the next thing that you needed to do. So the very first nope. job or no, among no, no, the no. first jobs to be lost were the calculators. No, no, you forgot. You dictated this to your secretary Good who point. typed it out and put it in an inner office form that then went down to the sub-basement mailroom trolls who then sorted it whenever they were like, dadgummit, I'm on my coffee break. And they would sort it and then route it back up the building to the calculator pool where the, the low totem pole, because they don't get secretaries, they just get the junior calculator to go open it and look at it and probably do it and then one of them checks the work where it then goes back in the inner office memo down to the troll to reroute up to your secretary who then makes sure you see this so no mark this did not kill one job you killed entire sections of corporate america with this anyway you don't have 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 like dead languages out there like you know they discover some country or tribe or something from million years ago or whatever had a particular language, but no one can work out what it was. Right. I wonder if in a thousand years, they're going to look back at shorthand and think that that was a dead language. Do you remember <laughs> shorthand? <Yeah. laughs> and then it was replaced by something called super right, which was a blend between shorthand and cursive English. And it was something that, you, it took skill to write it, but if you could read regular English, you could dictate, you could uh, make out super right. And, and then I that was that replaced by Leetspeak. Go ahead. I said, and that was replaced by Leetspeak. Are you okay? <laughs> Ruach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted. You know that because... Because the business teacher at Edgewood High School was an extremely attractive teacher. I had a crush on her, so I took every <laughs> business class I could take, including typing. So <laughs> Nice. Well, I think this was a well-rounded show. Everything from uh, the world powers are out to get you and put your tinfoil hat on to uh, Seth thought I had a cute uh, business uh, teacher. So, yeah, I think I think we covered everything we could on this show. Don't forget um, to put snake the rant back into versus geek rant. killers. <laughs> I, you were both talking. I didn't understand either of you. Go, Miles. You, we put the rant back into geek rant. Yeah, we did make up for that. And remember my call to action from earlier in the show, you know, which would you rather see snake killers or convicted felons have a chance for life? Surely we can get some comments out of that. So I have clearly, distinctly and repeated you, repeatedly implored you to tell me what you think using the multiple methods available to you. So if I don't get any email in the next couple of weeks, I have no choice but to assume you are mindless and you don't think anything. But- and we need to tell them what to think, much like every other corporate entity in America. We are doing it wrong, Mark. Yeah, I guess instead <laughs> of fostering independent thought, we just need to come on here and tell you what to think. So if I don't get any response, I'll know that that's the the, the way the show needs to go in the future. Instead of uh, trying to have in- intellectual debate, we'll just come on and tell you what to think. Uh, and the first thing I'll tell you is go to patreon.com slash element and, uh, and give me money. Uh, you think <laughs> you want to give me money. This is an important thing. This is a deeply held personal belief for you, and uh, you need to do it. Pseudo, go and give me money at <laughs> patreon.com slash element OP. All right. I, I'm Fun run, show tonight. I've run out of useful things to say. I've even run out of useless things to say. So there's nothing else to say, but pay for what you like. Good night, everybody, because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.